guys ready to get into it? Ready. Yeah, why not? Let's do it. Ready yeah. for Christmas. We've been sipping on eggnog all day. You know, we're loosey-goosey. We can get away with some hiccups. Welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different film each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. I'm John. And it's that special time of year, folks. It's that time of year where we bring an entire goddamn tree into our homes and adorn it with different cursed baubles and bells. Hail and hearty soups are on the menu. Snow is either pouring down from the heavens or it's at least threatening to. And we are overcome with a sort of deeply ingrained urge to spend what little dwindling monies we have left on useless trinkets for our friends and loved ones. And that's why for this wonderful season, which actually is my favorite, sorry, Halloween, we are bringing you the 12 Days of Christmas Psychotronic Special, where we're going to talk about 12 of our favorite psychotronic Christmas movies. Yeah, we, we sat down the other day, we, we crammed into my bedroom, actually, because my roommates were making a Hanukkah dinner, and we watched a fucking nightmare marathon of just like... The wildest Christmas movies, and what I'm so excited to like to when we get to the list, is that a, a handful of these I had never seen before. Like some of them, I've been putting off forever. Just like eh, next next you know Christmas, I'll watch this one. And other ones I never fucking heard of. Like some real real gems, I think are going to be sparkled sparkled in this list. And I feel like we should also maybe explain that this is not, I'm, I said the word psychotronic several times already, but this isn't really a conventional Christmas movie list. We, no, no. I think our mutual celebration of Christmas is secular. In my case, it's certainly pagan. And so we're more acknowledging the winter holiday season than we are a specific, you know, Christian holiday. Yeah. I mean, listen, you got to keep Christ in Christmas. No, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Heathens. I was here for putting Christ in Christmas. No, no. Keep Christ in Christmas. Just keep him the fuck out of Halloween. Absolutely. That's what I said. Absolutely. You know, you can have your fucking little thing. No way. Christmas, it's Yule. It's a pagan holiday. What the fuck is Yule? Oh, my God. Is that like y'all, but for the Northeast? Yule is the winter solstice. It's the shortest day of the year, and it's what we're really celebrating, not the birth of some made-up bearded man walking around in sandals. I mean, yeah, you, you're, you're right. We're celebrating the longest night of the year. Wait, you're saying that Santa Claus is made up? No, no, Santa Claus isn't made up. Santa Claus is pagan. Yeah, oh, Jesus okay. is made up. Santa oh, Claus okay. is a real I guy. I bearded. And, and I like said Santa in sandals. In sandals. Oh, yeah, he doesn't wear sandals. And, and... I mean, Santa Claus oh, yeah. might wear sandals. He's probably he goes... got frostbite enough where Honestly, he can just walk around in <laughs> I feel like I, I've, I've seen some Coca-Cola advertisements where he's got sandals on. Oh, my God, you had to bring beach. them into this already. They're hand in hand. Coca-Cola owns Santa Claus, pretty much. Santa Claus is uh, operating some Colombian death squads. Yeah, yeah, he, he's the leader. <laughs> all right, all right. Without any further ado, we got a we got a little list to get to, and I got a feeling this is probably going to be a two-parter episode, so we might have a, a free bonus shot for our three listeners out there. But uh, <laughs> let's let's go. You guys want to go? Yes. We are the three listeners, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> we are. All right, all right. So, like Sam was saying, it's the 12 
days of psychotronic Christmas, and we got we got 12 movies to to share with you, and a lot of them are just our favorite movies, and for some of them they're my newest favorite movies, but we thought we would uh, kick things off with a bang. Yeah, and I feel like this movie is proof that this list it's not in any sort of hierarchical order it's just 12 movies because if it were up to me this one would be number one for greatest christmas movie of all time and that is bob clark's 1974 classic black christmas this is the greatest christmas movie of all time you know so i'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue, argue with you guys. You, you sound know, like the, you're arguing already. No, not no. We just started the show. We just had a couple of drinks. We're all friends here. This is at, listen. This is a great. This is one of the greatest horror movies of all time, for sure. Greatest slasher of all time. Mm. No. Okay, but all right. Best Christmas movie of all time. Greatest slasher of all time. Black Christmas has what it has going for it. So much so that a lot of other slasher films don't have is it has a cast of characters who you just fucking adore. Like, all of those girls have such, like, strong personalities, and you just, like, you don't want to see anything bad happen to them, and they they just feel like real people, that it makes some of the, like, terror and and just, like, horror of the film jump out at you. Because you don't you just don't want to see anything bad happen to them. It also still, no matter how many times I've seen it, is a genuinely scary movie. Oh, yeah, for with sure. With some absolutely terrifying sound design. I mean, Bob Clark, his first couple of films, like this, Death Dream, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, the sound design and scores are all so creepy. And this, I think, is really the apex of that yeah. with the fucking phone call. Do you know how they did that soundtrack, by the way? How? He slowed it down, right? Right, but all they did was, you know the scene where he just like beats the shit out of his piano? Oh, of course. That's what, they just took the sounds like from that. Yeah, it's uh, Carl Zittrer is the guy who did the score and pretty much manipulated the piano strings, I think also with knives as well as hitting the strings, Mm -hmm. which... You know, he was was in his own noise band in the 70s. (laughs) (laughs) So... uh, a couple months ago, around Halloween, or I think, no, it was Halloween night. On Halloween night. It was the last we, movie of Halloween we watched. Last movie of Halloween, just before midnight, we watched Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, a movie that every single time I watch it, just fucking, I love it more and more and more. It's just so demented. But the last time I watched it, I realized that the sound design is something that rattles my fucking bones. And what you just said about Black Christmas kind of being the apex of Bob Clark's sound design you're absolutely right. This movie is like head and shoulders. It just, it's creepy. It's creepy in a way that a, a lot of these Christmas movies that we're going to talk about are, but just on this like professional level that it's it's like you know they know what's going to get under your skin. And so I have, and I'm sure we'll talk about this on some future dedicated episode at some point, but I have a thing where I really love obscene caller movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah. this is, of course, one of the best. Hello? 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 Hey, quiet! It's him again, the Mona! 
Hicks expanded his act. Could that be one person? No, Claire, that's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir doing their annual obscene phone call. Go find a wall socket and stick your tongue in it. That'll give you a charge. I'll stick my tongue up your pretty pussy. You fucking creep! I'm going to kill you. The the way that they recorded those phone calls, like Bob Clark uses his voice in, really? in some of them. Yeah, it was it was I think three different people mm-hmm. who all like mixed their voices together and they did wild very affordable low budget techniques that just sound terrifying and okay so i know that we have had a sort of brewing argument about black christmas versus halloween okay well but wait let me just say oh go ahead go ahead get the first get I the think, first lick in i think why it's not even a lick it's it's just about personal preference i think the reason that black christmas to me is the better film is because it has that sleazier element. It's like in Halloween, they're high school students and here they're in college. They live in this just like ridiculous sorority where the house mother is an alcoholic and you've got Margot Kiddo or (laughs) Beatrix. Oh my God. You've got Margot Kidder. R.I.P. She was amazing, but she's so good here because she oh, yeah. just doesn't give a fuck. Like yeah. the scene she's where so she tells cool. the cop to call Felicia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a wonderful scene in this. Oh wait, go on. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, 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 no. That but, was all I was gonna say. Oh. Was the sleaze element here is one of the things that I think makes me prefer it to Halloween. There's one very humorous scene that's like very human it's not like a, a, your typical like payoff joke and it's the fellatio joke scene where john saxon is reading the police report and in the background you can see the other cop watching him waiting for him to get to fellatio street and john <laughs> saxon's reading it and obviously he's like wait what the fuck and you see the cop in the background just start fucking cracking up yeah. and it's a very like realistic scene and and i yeah. think all the characters even the minor ones they're a lot thicker than they are in halloween by thank for you sure. yes but and it, it's loaded with a lot more human elements but i don't know it, it, it's also scarier it's okay so that is where 
I disagree. So Black Christmas, it it's tenser. Or, you know, it's hard to... Okay. This I'm is, bringing you around. No, so here we not, go. I'm just no, being fucking polite no. here, Sam. Black Christmas a- is, is more grounded. And that's, in a sense, is why it, it, I feel it is scarier. Halloween is a great movie and it's a slasher movie, but it's also like a monster movie. Like Michael Myers is a monster. Yeah, he's Donald basically like, he's basically like a modernized version of Grendel from Beowulf. Yeah. Just wandering around, giant, hulking, unkillable. Whereas here, it's somebody who has this fucked up history and has all these mental health problems and is like hiding in your attic, which to me is way more terrifying. Yeah. I always wanted to see Black Christmas as a kid. I could never find it. It was not at uh, my video store. My mom, who's not like a horror movie fan whatsoever, but she grew up in Texas, surrounded by driving. So she saw a million movies that driving. Always told me as a kid, she's like, there was this one movie I saw. And she saw it under, I think she saw it under the Silent Night, um, Bloody Night, was it? Was that the first title that it came out under? I, I, I yes. think so. I think so. There's and another movie called Silent Night, Bloody Night. I yeah. think, but this was s- this did float around on that. A yeah, lot of yeah. these Christmas movies have that thing well, happening well, where there's an they, alternate title that they kind of share. Well, originally they it was always called Black Christmas or Silent Night. Yeah, Evil Silent, Night. Silent, Silent Night, Night, Evil Night. Night. That's wow. it. Look at you, fucking kings. But um, I've got the poster. So there's an alternate poster for that right. title where it's a naked girl curled up inside a glass Christmas ball and. I love this poster so much. If I could buy or own any like vintage poster, it would be this one. It goes for like six hundred dollars. Yeah. Super that rare. Fucking Dawn of the Dead number. The I've got the print. magnet on my fridge. The uh, well. So your when, mom at the drive-in. Well, yeah, she saw it and it was absolutely terrifying to the point where she always told me about it because she's like this one movie. Uh, almost like every other episode, you tell a story about how your mom saw some fucking movie and was traumatized. Yeah, by it. Dri- she sounds like a real soft. Thing. Yeah, she. Yeah, she is. But like, <laughs> you know, it's Texas in the sixties and seventies. The fuck else are you gonna do but go to the drive-in? But um, to go back to the title thing, it was always supposed to be called Black Christmas, but the distributors, the first distributors, I imagine, felt that it sounded like a black exploitation movie. So they changed mm. it to Silent Night, Evil Night. Honestly, that sounds like a sick fucking Yeah, flick. I was I just going to say I would Black love Christmas. that. But yeah, Black Christmas fucking... So many great fucking scenes. And it ends on a downer ending. It's that's so yeah. depressing. I, I, yeah. Oh, man. So that's that's one reason why this movie does really stand out is is that, you know, it's the classic. I mean, obviously, fucking, you've seen the movie. If you're listening to this, you've probably seen Black Christmas. That We're not fucking, telling you anything you don't know already. That phone call, that final fucking bit, it's been like done all to the death. phone calls. Yeah, but, no, but I mean, I mean, when when the police tell him, you know, oh yeah, like he's in the back. He's seat. calling from yeah. You know, well, and I think that's also urban legend. Part it's of just, what makes it so scary is it's based on this urban legend that is justifiably terrifying. I mean, it's the same thing as when a stranger calls. It's the idea that your house is not a safe place. Yeah, your house is haunted by a by a fucking living being and it's it's ugh. But also the the fact that he stashes the bodies in the different rooms and like in the attic. Uh, I and, love Christmas so much. I but love But also it. the fact that Bob Clark not only directed Black Christmas and all these other great horror movies, but also directed a fucking Christmas story. It just he's the king of 
of Christmas movies. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine? I, I, I think I've said this probably before on other podcasts, but like, can you imagine being this director who mostly makes cult movies and you know, by the time you pass away, your career has reached a point where on a major holiday, people show one of your movies for 24 hours uh, yeah. on syndicated television. Okay, before I move on to number 11, I got a quick little little question for you guys. Black Christmas or a Christmas story? Black Christmas. But I do love a Christmas story. Go on, spit it out, Sam. I, I, don't, I see you. I don't know. Oh, come on. You're, you're hanging off a cliff. It's the end of The Good Son with Macaulay Culkin. In one <laughs> hand, you have Black Christmas, and in the other hand, you have a Christmas story. You can only watch one more movie for the for the rest of your life. You can only, you can only watch one more. You, you can't know watch the other one. It's it is. Like, Sam, I, I which know one are you, you watching? Know. But you Who just, you it's, it's just like, it's Macaulay less. Macaulay Culkin or Elijah Wood? It, I don't know. You know. I know you know. You just, it's just the other one's too good that you don't want to see worry. it die. Don't worry. Listen, Sam, okay, when I edit honestly, this episode, I'll bleep it out. No, you don't have to bleep it out. Honestly, if I had one last movie, if I could pick, if I knew I'm dying in two hours and I can watch one last movie and the only two movies I have are those two, I would probably watch a... Number 11 on our 12 Days of Christmas list. Of Psychotronic Christmas. Psychotronic Christmas. (laughs) Okay, so this one, you said Black Christmas is your number one Christmas movie. I say it's the best Christmas movie. Uh, Ernest Saves Christmas from 1988 might just have a slight edge for for a different crowd. Oh my God, it's so good. (laughs) This movie is fucking fantastic. Jim Varney is someone whose face I can just look at for the rest of my fucking he's life. He's a wonderful human being and we did not deserve him. But if it's yeah. Christmas and you're not watching Ernest Saves Christmas, you somehow have missed the vital ingredients to what makes Christmas magical. I take it you really needed a tree. No, I've already got one, but I've got a friend I think could maybe use it. Besides, it'd be a shame for a little fella not to have a home for the holidays. It's nice to find somebody with such devotion to Christmas. You know, I don't tell many people this, but Christmas is just about my favorite time. Ever since I was a little kid, I always felt like it was my own personal holiday. I'm at one with the Yuletide, know what I mean? <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I even memorize the names of all the reindeer, like Donder and Blister. That's Blitzen. Jim Varney's character, Ernest. Ernest P. Worrell. Ernest P. Worrell is so originally he was some guy from like local access commercials in nashville in, in nashville or he was born in nashville i don't i'm not sure oh, where I his first yeah, one was yeah but i know he was popular in different markets all over the south like even over to texas and and new mexico and he, what he did was he was doing these characters and he started to franchise the character well, to like different markets like in in new orleans he was like the life insurance guy what I didn't realize until recently, like I always thought that Jim Varney just created the character, but apparently it was actually John Cherry who directed Uncle Buck, the Ernest movies, and of course directed Ernest Saves Christmas. But did you direct Uncle Buck? Did I make that up? I, think, I don't. I think, think you, you made that. I up. I made that up. I think you made that. He up. didn't yeah. direct Uncle Buck, <laughs> <laughs> but. I guess he created or at least helped create the character that was then played by Jim Varney with a plum. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ernest, if you are 
the one person on planet Earth who doesn't know. <laughs> well, I feel Ernest like maybe was... some of our listeners who aren't American might not know Ernest. That's yes. true. Sorry. <laughs> Imagine if Pee Wee Herman could gut a deer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, there is, I think, in both of them, this sort of childlike purity this sort of really innocent quality that makes them see the world in refreshing and often very comical ways always wholesome always pure he's like looney tunes come to life yeah with some bodies in the backyard but like the way that bugs bunny has all of these different like outfit changes and character changes and has this sort of trickster quality where his like fundamental sense of self is not altered by taking on these other personas. That's also earnest. Yeah. So this is going to sound really corny, but in like the first 10, 15 minutes of rewatching this movie, I hadn't seen it in a couple of years. And like the first like 10, 15 minutes, uh, I started to kind of well up a little bit. Because it was just it's so, so nice. touching. Fucking Christ. <laughs> John, listen. Okay, I know Damn. I'm a softy little soy boy criterion collection Wes Anderson guy. But, like, I was started. I felt the fucking magic so quick in this movie. And he's just, like, such a fucking idiot. And he's so nice. And it's just, I mean, Ernest is a fucking king to me. Well, and also, I don't think we said what the plot of this is, which is basically Ernest is a cab driver in Orlando. And Santa, who is super old, is ready to retire. And within the, you know, mythology of of this movie, like he's a different person, but selects an heir eventually and a new person becomes It's the classic Santa Claus story. Half these fucking Christmas movies on Netflix are about... You know, old man Santa getting Tim Allen to like, right, you know, right, the, right, the Santa Claus regeneration episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he, yeah he basically yeah. is a, Santa you know, is Doctor Who. Yeah, he's a Time Lord. <laughs> but <laughs> that actually would be a great crossover. But anyway, Santa shows up in Orlando because there's this local TV host who has this really wholesome kids show. Everybody loves him. Santa wants that guy to become the new Santa. Hijinks ensue. Ernest has to help out because Ernest is the only person trusting and open enough to believe that this guy actually is Santa. The movie's just so fucking ridiculous. And because Jim Varney is a such an over the top character, Ernest is such an over the top character, they realize that for 90 minutes. His shtick might kind of grate on you a little bit, especially for like the dads who took their kids to see the movie. Yeah. yeah. So they have a lot of other little subplots that are just as funny and charming and weird to kind yeah. of like break up the earnest psycho nonsense. The best being Santa in jail, which oh. is my favorite scene in the oh whole movie. Oh my god! god. Yes, yeah, oh. Santa gets like he gets sent to jail. I think multiple times in the movie, but the first time he gets sent to jail, you think like, Oh God, he's in, you, you see all of these like hardened bikers and dudes with beards and leather jackets. And you think like, uh Oh, what's going to happen to Santa. And when the scene cuts back to Santa in jail, he has them all singing this perfectly harmonized Christmas carol with like a guy in a different cell singing a solo. And it's yeah. it's the spirit of Christmas. Oh, my gosh. What's the fucking uh, the, the prison exploitation flick 
where it's like a really awesome like prison flick and then it kind of becomes like a shitty rocky knockoff for the second half are you talking about penitentiary penitentiary yeah first of all there's no part of that movie that's shitty that movie's great all yeah no 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 no. oh so so i mean like penitentiary is sick but like i think i liked it more before it was just like a a straight boxing drama but no penitentiary sick i don't know why i brought that oh well the prison shit yeah, I was thinking like... But nobody sings harmonized Christmas carols led by actual <laughs> Santa in penitentiary. Who the hell put you in my cell? You just fall. You've been in the county jail six months. You box? Not really. Why? Boxing tournament coming up. Big fun. You box? Hell no. Half dead don't box. I kill. Also, my second favorite thing about this movie is the fact that the heir to the Santa throne gets sort of tempted away by his bullying manager, his greedy bullying manager who wants him to be in this movie. And the movie is a Christmas horror movie called uh, Christmas Slay, like S-L-A-Y. And Santa shows up on set and gets so upset once he finds out it's a horror movie about like you know Martians coming to terrorize Christmas or children on Christmas. He punches the director and goes to jail again. Yeah, Santa's <laughs> a fucking G in this flick, an absolute fucking G. But delightful at the same time. So, John, I'm curious. Uh, I know you're like uh, you're not a big fan of the kids' flicks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I've never seen a Toy Story 2 poster on your wall in no, your house. No. you got plenty of fucking I like other nasty the, I, shit. I like the Toy Story movies, though. They're Sick. good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, what's how's how's Ernest stand in it, your, it's in your fun. world? It's charming. But but I feel like one of the reasons uh, one of the reasons I really like it is because it is fucking deranged. Yeah. It's it's clearly out of the minds of a fucking madman. Yeah, no, it's nuts. And yeah. some of the shots in this movie are like shit from the fucking Evil Dead. Yes, like the oh. way they frame yeah. the close-ups. And yeah, like, the yeah. close-ups when he's doing like when he's the old lady oh, or yeah. when he's the general. And, and, and there's a lot of like first-person shots. Yeah, where like because like Ernest st- his shtick on um like commercials was that he was like talking to this guy Vern yes. and like destroying his house. And this movie like has like one of those scenes like from a commercial in it where he's like you know trying to fix Vern's Christmas lights but he just like rips out the electrical system of yeah. behind what's, his walls. What's a shame is if Jim Varney had lived they could make a great VR game where you're Vern and you're just being oh chased god. by Ernest Oh my god. <laughs> Ernest well done. Bravo. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. Hiya folks. Ernest P. Worrell. Aerial Taxi. At your service. Ernest, you flew the sleigh. We told him not to do it. That's terrific. Well, we thought it was a great idea. It's all yours, Joe. We really don't deserve Jim Varney. He is a a magical treasure. What are his, like, non-Ernest roles? I'm sure he... I know Toy Story, he's the slinky dog. He's the slinky dog in the first But in, like, a serious movie. Like, I'm not saying, like, some Oscar drama, but like I, something. I feel like a total fucking ding-dong for saying this because I don't know the answer. But I, I saw a picture from a film, like a still shot, 
from a film where he has like this fucking gnarly looking goatee and he looks like this grizzled guy. Oh, sick. And it's like some random flick where he's like some drunk guy or some like, you know, like right. not lead character. I, I, I want to track it down. I forget what it is, but he looked looked cool. Like yeah. he obviously has acting chops. No. And when he was a kid, he was like one of those like kind of rambunctious kids that like could remember entire poems when he was like 10 like he had like a mind Ooh. where he could just recite stuff like verbatim he he grew up in like you said knoxville yeah and and his parents like immediately saw that they're like nashville. Nashville nashville, nashville 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 and his parents saw that and were like yo we gotta we gotta push this kid in the fucking in the world there, there's one scene in this movie where he has to dress up like the like not the governor but somebody important to sneak santa claus out of <laughs> yeah. yeah and like he's he's, he's like a he's like an insurance investigator right. or something but he's all cleaned up with his hair slicked back and he looks pretty sharp like yeah. it doesn't look like yeah. the goofball i grew up with a kid he lived in my neighborhood uh, had a had a very bad stutter. He was homeschooled and had very like deeply Christian parents who refused to let him like talk to society. The best kind of parents. So his only channel to the outside world was Ernest. Wow. So, what do you mean? So one of the very few <laughs> kids. What do you fucking mean by that? Means that the only thing that he saw that like belonged to the world outside of his house was Ernest movies. So. Wow. One of the very few kids in my neighborhood, a kid I used to hang out with, his whole personality was based off of Ernest. So imagine like a 10-year-old redhead with a really bad stutter who thinks like Ernest is like how people act in the real world. And That's me being amazing. like going out in the woods with this kid. I mean, I love the idea of like learning about the American prison system <laughs> from, yeah. from Ernest Goes to Jail and like learning about anthropology by watching Ernest Goes to Africa. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shaft Goes to Africa, Ernest Goes to Africa, best double feature. You oh my God, it's coming up. Yeah, we're going to do a two-part episode on that at some point. <laughs> Speaking of Ernest and actually not Ernest, but Jim Varney and Christmas which will allow us to transition to our next film. One of his like big teenage theater roles was he played Scrooge in uh. a production of uh, Christmas Carol, which wow. I really wish oh that footage God. of that survived. If there was some fucking, you know, over the shoulder Betamax camera operated by <laughs> some kid's fucking mom. If someone can give that a fucking yes, Blu-ray someone release. mail that to us. Yeah. <laughs> But Scrooge, I think, and A Christmas Carol is such a fundamental part of Christmas mu movie viewing. I mean, there are countless uh, adaptations. Yeah, so many adaptations. The fucking Muppets got in the game. Which is one of my favorite Christmas movies because I'm obsessed with the Muppets. But that is not number 10 on our list. Number 10 on our list is a movie that I never even fucking heard of until about a week ago when we decided to do this episode and it was one of the movies that you like threw at us to like throw on the list john and i had no idea what it was and it's kind of secretly the reason why i love doing this show is when when we're doing research for a particular movie because usually we just do like one movie per episode but like when we're doing research and like one of the movies is something that like just comes out of left field that i never knew existed and after it's done, I wish that I had seen it like 10 years ago. And I've been watching it every single fucking Christmas. And that's exactly what this one is. 
This movie is Cash on Demand from 1961, a Hammer production that was released by Columbia Pictures that stars Peter Cushing in one of his best roles and in such an unexpected role. Like whenever, whenever you think Hammer, obviously the first thing you think is fucking Frankenstein, Dracula and shit. But this is just so different. Well, and I think this is what I find frustrating. And I know we talked about this on our Frankenstein episode before Halloween, which is a lot of, I think, more mainstream horror genre fans look down their nose at Hammer and feel like, oh, they're just these sort of period pieces. But Hammer did so much more than even those gothic horror movies, which, of course, we all love. They have so many great thrillers, especially from the early 60s. And at some point, I will force us to do... I'm, I'm sure I won't have to force either of you. But I would love if we did an episode on something like Maniac or Paranoiac where, oh, you know, yeah. Oliver Reed... Yes, too. Scream of Fear is amazing. But this is such a great kind of detour from typical Hammer. So it, it's like if you don't want to watch something supernatural or that's a monster movie this is it's basically scrooge who is a bank manager and is like viciously manipulated by somebody holding up the bank on christmas yeah it's it's a heist flick that also doubles as a christmas story yeah and it doesn't lay its cards on the table and it's not really even a slow burn either it's it's intense it's a really intense flick and it's just it's so good. It's like a, a movie where characters are just fucking talking to each other and it fucking makes you sweat. Yeah, it, like those one setting kind of feels like a play movies aren't my type of movie, but when done well. Yeah, I love a bottle. I love a bottle story. I mean, yeah, oh, I do too, but sometimes they feel too much like plays. But this movie has enough little jumps. It's not like 12 Angry Men, which I like, but it feels like a play. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... Cash on Demand is a movie that stars Peter Cushing, as, as we said, and he has a very, very dignified name in the film. His name is Mr. Fortnite. He's a... Fordice. Fordice, okay. Somebody's been playing this fucking Xbox too much. <laughs> so Mr. Fortnite... Fordice! Is, ...is the manager of this bank, and you when he first walks in, he's, like, fixing everything. He's putting all the pens back, and he's, like, moving papers around and just, like, getting everything perfect... And you immediately know exactly who he is before he even starts debasing some of his subordinates, as he calls the people under him that work at the bank. This is the Habersham branch of the city and colonial bank, in a quiet provincial town where nothing ever happens. But about 10 o'clock on the morning of December the 23rd, as these doors are open for business, the most startling, terrifying two hours of this man's life will commence. I walk into this bank this morning, hand a card over the counter, and immediately I'm shown in here and left alone with Fordyce. I could have stuck a gun in his ribs as soon as the door closed. If I may say so, sir, you don't look much like a gunman. What does a gunman look like? Like this? Don't do anything, Fordyce. They'll die if you move or say a word. What is it you want? <laughs> Just some money. 
Yeah, and so the the sort of general setup is he works for the banking industry and he's this insurance investigator and he goes around from bank to bank helping people to guard themselves against future bank robberies. So he sort of puts them through their paces like, oh, you're not prepared. What if a real bank robber showed up and sort of unwittingly tricks them into saying what their protocol is? Yeah, it's... <laughs> A great little little scheme, really. Yeah, everyone yeah. is exceedingly British. But the phone rings, and it's Peter Cushing's wife, and she is just like harried and terrified, and like is begging Peter Cushing to listen to the man. And for the rest of the movie, you still hate Peter Cushing for being a fucking shitty bank manager guy. But like, well, you start to really feel for him. You really I do. do. And it's I, for some reason, I guess I had enough shitty bosses. Where watching, especially since the bank robber guy is so like he's he's cool. He's like a Hans Gruber type. He's like, so yeah. charming, well spoken, and sophisticated. And the fact that like he knows that he. Peter Cushing treats his employees like shit, so he like really puts them like under the ringer, and it's sort of satisfying watching this dickhead boss just sweat and squirm, and, yeah, and yeah, just fucking knows what it feels like when you have people who work under you that like need this job to survive, but are now just tortured by you. That like just to see those tables turned. Well, I'm and for you it. you get it. the sense that the bank robber who I think is played by Andre Morel, who is just super charming in a lot of these movies. He seems to be getting as much pleasure from teaching Peter Cushing's character a lesson as he does from pulling off this complicated one-man bank robbery. Yeah. I, I th And not to... Spoilers ahead, but like at the end where he kind of lets Peter Cushing off the hook, yeah, kind of shows that like despite everything this guy does, he does have this morality and he does have the yeah. spirit of Christmas. Yeah, the bank robber in this film embodies like the ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of totally. Christmas future. It's just, I mean, I've never seen anything like it, and yeah, I've seen a great. million of these fucking bank heist flicks and. Ah, oh, this was just so cool. And I, I can't wait to fucking watch it again next year. Like, I I'm so glad to have seen yeah, it. Yeah, I forget how I found it. I found it, like, it's not spoken of a lot in, like, no, camera No, like, this and Never Take Sweets from a Stranger yeah, that's a good are... What's that? Are, oh, what's that? I've never heard of that. That's, the, like, it's the It's Hammer's, child. like, pedophilia yeah. thriller drama. Well, that... Are there any big names in it? I can't. I mean, I'm sure... I've seen it once, and I'm sure it has people that are in other Hammer movies, but it doesn't have like not like Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee. But yeah, that's also how I found it was when I was just sort of making my way through, a f a, like probably ten years ago at this point, determined to watch every single Hammer movie I could find. That's how I found out about this, and was just like, holy shit! It's also crazy because it's directed by this guy named Quentin Lawrence, and. Usually, Hammer was really insular and just worked with the same kind of behind-the-scenes filmmakers on every production, just like this small group of people. And I don't think Quentin Lawrence really made any other Hammer movies. He directed Trollenberg Terror, which is really fun. The Crawling Eye. Yes. I love that movie. But really, it's... It feels refreshingly different from what you would associate with Hammer 
but it's just so wonderful. And I know a lot of my like friends aren't big Hammer fans. I like to think that uh, I'm winning some of them over. It's one of those things that I always like try to push on people, you know, like I'm some fucking like drug dealer and I'm, I'm trying I'm to peddle Hammer flicks. When you somebody know? says they don't like Hammer movies, it's sort of like kids these days and I yeah. <laughs> roll my eyes. But like, I feel like this is a movie that if if you're not someone who loves Hammer flicks, this is a fucking bank heist flick. I mean, and the black and white is gorgeous in it. It's just, it's great yeah, to look it looks at. Great. And, uh, I, it's it's such a cool, cool flick, and I can't recommend it higher. Yeah. So, for a complete change of pace, for our next movie, I really wanted to include something that felt a little bit more pagan because I, as I said at the beginning of the episode, you're a witch. Yes. At the beginning of the episode, as I said, I think Christmas is more a pagan holiday than a Christian one. And this isn't exactly what you would associate with pagan horror movies or folk horror. And there are a lot of wonderful movies and shorts associated with ghost stories for Christmas that I think fit into that sort of pagan territory better. But I would love to talk about those in their own right, you know, some other Christmas. So we went with the absolutely wonderful Bell Book and Candle from 1958, which is, I think, just a great example of classic Hollywood, but it takes place at Christmas And it's about a witch who gets into her head that she wants to get her claws into this average guy and sort of turn his life upside down. Yeah, this Bell Book and Candle, number nine on our list, is this classic Hollywood, another Columbia picture, if I remember correctly, from the... Well, they just distributed. Yeah, they just distributed, so... Oh, yeah, word, word, word. But another one with that lady with the fucking torch in the beginning. Yeah, yes. Columbia. You know, Columbia. Yeah. <laughs> the, she's the one that the Ghostbusters uh, possessed to walk at the end of Ghostbusters 2. I so I had a feeling that's who that was. Yeah, I thought I recognized her. Of course it was. Uh, another. <laughs> and, and, well, Bell, Book, and Candle is a movie that stars uh, one of my favorite actors oh my god stop of all time <laughs> stop oh, come on <laughs> someone who serious, just like honestly every time this guy shows up on the screen i immediately just start smiling you know and like you know sometimes when you hear like a radio jingle for like some like fucking local painters outlet or something that sells like fucking house paint and you can't stop singing like cox carpet yeah or carpet there yeah, you go you got the i'm right trying to remember what the jingle is cox Carpet, carpets galore. No, no, oh, no, no. That was that's Big Wally's. Big Wally's. Big Wally's Sorry. furniture store. Yes, big, 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 big savings. Savings galore. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this is an actor. <laughs> How did that happen? This is an actor who, after I watch a Egg single knock. fucking movie with him in it, it's like a fucking radio jingle is stuck in my head, and that radio jingle is Jimmy Stewart's voice. Like, all day today, we watched this movie last night together, Bell, Book, and Candle, and all day today, it's just fucking, ah, can you open the door for me, Sam? I, uh, I seem to have left my, <laughs> seem to have left my hat in your uh, apartment. <laughs> 
Is that a... Oh, uh, is that your oven rotting? I, I, that's real dangerous, you know. Oh, my God, stop. I, so I have this thing. I don't think I've talked about it yet, but I cannot stand everyman actors. Like, Tom Hanks is probably my least favorite actor of all time. Wow. And, yeah, I just... I Over Carrot Top? <laughs> Carrot Top is not an actor. Yes, thank He's you. A force of nature. Carrot Top is neither an actor Chairman nor a force of, of nature. of the board, everyone. <laughs> Uh, I think Frank Sinatra is the chairman <laughs> of the board, but and he's a much better actor than Carrot that's, Top. That's true. Uh, By hair. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. A curly red hair. <laughs> a Carrot Top pube. <laughs> Wait, so... so No more eggnog for you ever. Oh my God. This okay. Is, why would okay. we record this show drunk? We're not drunk. We're, not even We're drunk. just jolly. Yes, it's Christmas time. God, fucking yeah, Scrooge, Scrooge over here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Anyway, so I love many films with Jimmy Stewart in them, but it continues to blow my mind that he was ever cast as a romantic lead. And actually, Bell Booking Candle is his last film as a romantic lead and boy was it long overdue yeah oh my god he looks like fucking garbage in this movie it's not even that he looks like garbage it's just kim novak is one of the sexiest women of the golden age of hollywood and she plays the titular witch uh whose name is jillian but they pronounce it like gillian or something Mm, crazy here yeah and She has this wonderful life where she owns this store selling basically African antiques and like tribal masks and, you know. Stolen native goods. Yeah, it's a a 50s movie, but sort of the explanation for it is because she's a witch, she has this expertise in sort of different areas of folk magic and tribal religion and things like that. So that's why she has this store. But her sort of close circle is made up of her brother, Jack Lemon, who mm. is a bongo playing warlock. Yeah, the the a- actual fucking polar opposite of Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. I love Jack Lemon I so much. I do too. I have no desire to bite his fucking nose off at all, like I do Jimmy Stewart. But Well, and also her upstairs neighbor is one of her closest friends, a character named Queenie, who's played by the great Elsa Lanchester, the bride of Frankenstein herself. Holy shit, that's who that was? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Holy shit, I had no idea. She's amazing. Oh, she's terrific in this movie. Wife of Charles Lawton, comedic legend in her own right, and totally unappreciated, I think, in her time and now. But she is sort of this kind of doddering interloper who just loves when she loves somebody, she wants to meddle in their business. And that's kind of what she does here. And also I think the biggest star of the film is Pie Wacket, the Siamese cat who gets really manhandled by Jimmy Stewart because of course, but it's, I love this movie so much. It's so beautiful. If you want sort of classic Hollywood Christmas movie. 
it looks incredible. It, the cinematography is from James Wong Howe, who is, you know, one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, and it's just like, it's fun fucking witch shit for Christmas, you know? And like, it's it's so fun, and it's so like... The Zodiac Club is so fucking cool. It's yeah, so they go cool. to that fucking club, and there's like a secret witch dive bar with like fucking demented bongo music. Uh, it's such a cool fucking flick. But but to go back to what Sam was saying, this movie has like a magic spells, like a fucking witch cat that can like climb on walls on a and hypnotize ju- people. Yeah, but the most unbelievable part of this movie is the fact that Kim Novak's needs magic to win over Jimmy fucking Stewart. Which, oh like, God. you hate to see. I was, yeah. I was it, saying to John, because I think you were saying you just rewatched Vertigo. Yes, yeah, like a few days before this. Watching this as a double feature with Vertigo would be insane because they both, of course, have Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart in totally unbelievable relationship dynamics. And also this wild use of green lighting. Yes, <laughs> yeah. But the... The most frustrating thing about this movie for me, and I do love it, is this idea that in order to find true love and be happy, you can't also still be a witch. So you have to give up your powers, which is something also taken from I Married a Witch, which is from about a decade before this, the Veronica Lake movie. Both of them went on to influence the sh- the TV show Bewitched, which, you know, at least lets her keep her fucking powers. Yeah, she gets a new fucking husband every couple seasons, but <laughs> she gets to keep her powers. I mean, good for her. Yeah, but, hey, who fucking but, doesn't want that? So it definitely has these sort of frustrating 50s domestic heteronormative values, yeah. but it's also delightful. Although, the crazy thing I found out recently... And I was saying this to you guys when we watched it was it's a little frustrating to me that it has to be fucking Jimmy Stewart. And I really wish it was Cary Grant originally. So originally, originally, David O. Selznick bought the rights to the novel to make it a vehicle for Jennifer Jones, his wife. They also made a sort of similar pagan horror witch movie called Gone to Earth that's a Powell and Pressburger film it's one of my absolute favorites and has sort of similar uh, like similar plot devices to this but is way more like depressing and tragic and is not a Christmas movie once he let those rights expire they were bought by Columbia and they wanted it to be a vehicle for Cary Grant and uh, what's her name Grace Kelly so this was supposed to be oh. a Cary Grant, Grace Kelly movie, but then she got married, so she couldn't be in it. Is Grace Ke- Kelly the one that married the like fucking king yes. of yes. England Morocco. or And Hitchcock was very upset very about Very mad. That. Yeah. Fucking cuckold Hitchcock. Poor Hitchcock. <laughs> Fuck Hitchcock. He, yeah, he was a bit of a sleaze. <laughs> he, yes. <laughs> Wasn't it, like, Tippi Hendren was the one that... Yes. Yeah. Tippy Hendren yeah. got the fucking the yeah, brunt yeah. of his fucking. Yeah. But then she got a bunch of tigers yeah. and lions right. Hey. Right. to protect herself from fucking Hitchcock. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> well, you know, it'd be sort of like somebody reading over your shoulder all the time. <clears throat> but uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm I think I'm allergic to your cat. <clears throat> all right, and I guess moving on to number eight for uh, something else entirely a completely different gear changer of a movie so 
our last episode was on The Great Silence, one of the best Western films ever made. One of the best spaghetti Western films ever made, at least. And before we watched that, we did a little marathon. And one of the movies in our marathon was uh, a Ringo and his Golden Pistols. and Just Pistol. Ringo and his Golden Pistol. And I don't want to, you know, sound like a Debbie Downer, but... It was no good. Movie fucking sucked, folks. It, it, it had was good action uh, uh, direction. There you Which go. Which is wild because the reason we decided to watch it is because it was the one Ringo sequel that was directed by Sergio Corbucci. So we figured, well, this has got to be yeah, better than be the good. first one. I had never seen an, a single Ringo flick. I, I'd seen the Sartana movies. I'd seen the Sabata movies. I've uh, seen the Django flicks, but Ringo was one that was just kind of in my blind spot. I knew nothing about the guy. And then after we watched the third Ringo movie and we all kind of weren't too hot on it, John. All because of Mark Damon, who's f- the fucking worst. Mark Damon. You suggested, John, that we, that, well, you, you told us, John, that the first Ringo flick it was fun, yeah. And it's a Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a diehardy Christmas movie. Yeah, it's fucking diehard. It's a fucking spaghetti western. Well, it's diehard, but if like John McClane had to like buddy up with, if he had the Mister Orange with Hans Gruber, <laughs> as opposed to just like sneaking around barefoot. Everywhere. Yeah, it's it's honestly it's a wild flick where Ringo. So Ringo is different from Django and different from Sartana in that he's this fucking golden-haired, little fucking mousy, pipsqueak motherfucker. I feel like he's it's funny. occurred to me now that you don't like Ringo because you share certain traits yeah. in common yeah. with him. You know it's what? a mirror. It's a mirror, and he sees and what you we don't see. Like it. You know, yeah. you guys, he sees what we have to put up with. You guys may not be wrong. You're a golden-haired... I don't want to call you a pipsqueak. Cause I'm that... a little bit of a pipsqueak sometimes, sure. Snark shit. Snark shit? <laughs> Snark shit. <laughs> okay, so the thing so, about yeah. Ringo... So Ringo is played by Giuliano Gemma, who is absolutely wonderful. If you're not a big Spaghetti Western fan and you don't know him from those, he plays the police detective in Tenebrae and steals the whole movie from everyone. That's basically. who he will always be, and it's always because of that immortal line when uh, I can't think of the lead's name when he offers him a drink. It's like, oh, but you probably don't drink on the job, and he's just like, <laughs> I, I only, only drink, drink on, on the, the job. job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Best line in the movie. But his, for some reason here, I think because spaghetti westerns were geared towards an international market, Giuliano Gemma is, you know, a super Italian sounding name. And so they they have him go as Montgomery Wood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the most porn sounding name yeah. ever. But, but also kind of Christmassy. I can see yeah. like, yeah, we got some Montgomery Wood in the fireplace. <laughs> so. But he plays this like young, beautiful, blonde, charming pain in the ass who's, you know, the best gunfighter in the land and everything always goes his way and he just sort of charms his way out of situations. Yeah, so this movie, Ringo, early on, is is stuck in jail. and Because he kills, a, he dares a bunch of guys 
to a gunfight while he's playing hopscotch with a bunch of kids. And before they even get a chance, he kills them all. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he kind of ices some people in cold blood. That No, like, they were after him. They were there to kill him. They, 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 they were. But they didn't draw their guns. To me, that's kind of a, that's a shitty move. Yeah, in but if you're Western. playing hopscotch and somebody kind of fucks up your concentration, I feel that's <laughs> proper... Proper Honestly, grounds that's to pretty kill. fair. Yeah. And Ringo finds himself in prison, and meanwhile, there's a a troop of Mexican bandits, kind of like like a Mexican wild bunch yeah. that like kind of sneak into the town one by one, and they fill up into the bank, and they rob the bank, and like make off with all this fucking cash, leave a fucking trail of leave a fucking trail of bodies in their wake. So many bodies. Oh my god. There's a, there's a stack in this flick, and uh, after they 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 escape. A little, they they escape, but they go to this like ranch, and they do this little, like little home invasion on a ranch. Yeah, it's a Christmas home invasion movie. It's spaghetti Western Christmas home invasion movie. And oh, that's also Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> and and the ranch gets surrounded by all the cops, and the cops then like realize that like Ringo, little golden boy, pipsqueak piece of shit that he is, wily guy, that he is the only one who can possibly infiltrate the gang. And save the money, save the town's money or whatever the fuck. And so they offer him 30% of the town's money to recover it. It's it's such a magical plot. And like the the ranch is owned by this wealthy guy who has this beautiful, I don't know if she's supposed to be t- late teens, early 20s. But she's this like beautiful, virginal type that's in so many spaghetti westerns. And of course she's engaged to the sheriff and who's this like bland handsome man who doesn't hold a candle to Ringo who she of course falls for but it's just like these character dynamics are so well developed that I think part of what makes the film great is the way that they play off of each other oh yeah oh for sure for sure and the thing that surprises me the most about this, and this is something that like you were telling me, John, um, last year, like we had like a little like spaghetti western conversation. I forget what the fuck it was over, but you were pointing out to me that when a genre dies, it's usually because it starts to do self parody and yeah. it becomes like a comedy. Like when slashers started doing like joking like student bodies and like Saturday the fourteenth. It was kind of like the death knell for slasher films. I think the films. biggest one is Evan Costello meet Frankenstein. <laughs> but but I yeah. mean that's the one where it's like these universal yeah. monsters are. Yeah, are, we're done here. Yeah. This they're, is they're so no ridiculous. Scary. It's now something that's parody. Right. And that Western films, it was the very same thing in the early seventies when Corbucci and a lot of other the filmmakers turned their eyes towards comedy and started making light of all of the stuff with like the trinity films yeah, with like yeah. bud spencer and terrence hill yeah they made a million of those. a million of them. And, and like honestly some of them are pretty fun like, oh yeah are, are, yeah are pretty good flicks but when you watch them you can tell that like it's kind of like we're done here yeah i think it it's smart because it's sort of getting ahead of your audience because once they know the genre inside and out and know all the tropes they start yeah, there's nothing like, new. Right, and they kind of start snarking at it, and it's better to just be like, listen, we know, and we're going to make jokes about you know all of these for tropes sure. now. But what's so unique about A Pistol for Ringo is that this movie came out in 1965, the same year as A Fistful of Dollars, 
and it's a comedy. It's fucking funny. And I had no idea this movie was going to be funny. And there's like so many bits where I'm like, are, is this a joke? Right. Like I, the I mean, great scene where he gets tortured while being tied up right next to this like giant display of Christmas balls that somehow <laughs> never gets broken. It's a Christmas movie. But right. also, oh, but it's not a it's not a parody though. No. At the same time, no, no, it's, no, no, it's no, no. like it's, it does its spaghetti western stuff sure. and and stays pretty straight at it. I think. It, yeah, it's you're right. That's true. Well, also, Duccio Tessari, who directed it, co-wrote Fistful of Dollars and was one of the people to start spaghetti westerns and was I think he definitely directed some films in his own right like the first two Ringo movies he made this really weird giallo that I love called Bloodstained Butterfly uh he co-wrote Bava's Hercules in the Haunted World oh, I love that fucking movie oh. well Bloodstained he, he, Butterfly is like the courtroom one right there are some courtroom scenes but it's it's just a weird yeah one. no I've seen that once yeah that's a good one he wrote a ton of peplum films that was like how his career got started yeah that's peplum films and like the sword and sandal movies from that time is a total blind spot for me yeah there are some great ones i mean hercules in the haunted world is my favorite just because it's a the one of the few gothic peplums but i mean even sergio corbucci directed one of the few other gothic peplums so i i think you do have these kind of outliers for like we were saying with the spaghetti westerns where it's like once people know the formula you have to do things differently with it and i think tessari was very good at having his eye on what a formula was for a genre it's funny because there are fistful of dollars uh like connections in the sense that he's kind of playing both sides even though it's obvious he's like on the one side yeah but it is him like okay i'll go and sneak over here and give them advice and be like, be the good sharpshooter for them. I think the reason why a pistol for Ringo, I mean, don't get me wrong. I fucking, I loved this flick. I had a ball with it, but like one of the reasons why, like uh, I had a, a light breeze of coldness towards it was because like half the time I kept thinking like, why don't these fucking guys just shoot this fucking blonde, fucking he's Ringo you in can't his just, face. Yeah. just not, shoot him he doesn't yeah. even have a gun on yeah. him shoot don't him. disrespect I mean, Giuliano like that I'm not I mean, disrespecting Giuliano Gem, I'm disrespecting same question every Ringo. time I hang out with you for the past 20 years <laughs> <laughs> this is a story of the famed angel faced mercenary of the west Ringo if you can get it back and save the hostages you get 10% it's a matter of principle Never enter into a deal for less than 30%. You looking for angel face, is that right? Well, you found him, I reckon. Cause I'm angel face. See how this one man with nerves of steel outwits and outmatches a whole implacable band of outlaws. Pistol for Ringo. Although something that I think you didn't have as much fun with that I love possibly more than life itself and have to watch pretty much every Christmas is number seven on our list, which is the VHS <laughs> wonder known as elves. This fucking 1989 
wacko. This is probably the most psychotronic movie on our whole list of 12. I don't know about that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The yeah. second half has got some fucking nutball shit. Yeah. But, but this is up there. Yeah, it's really up there. The plot, if I tried to summarize the plot in a sentence, and I sort of tried earlier, <sighs> and it just... It's. I can already feel like this, like vein above my left eye, twitching. Just like this movie is is. It's nutso. It's fucking bonko. It's just fucking crazy. It's Grizzly Adams. As okay, so it's hard for me to imagine that if you are listening to our podcast and you've made it this far in the episode that you haven't seen Elves, but I constantly meet people who have never seen it. This was my first watch. So I'll try to give a brief plot summary. Grizzly Adams, a.k.a. Dan Haggerty, is this washed up alcoholic detective who can't get work and he's forced to try to find a job as a mall Santa. The only reason he gets hired as a mall Santa is because the existing mall Santa... (laughs) The existing mall Santa... You got this. ...hits on our lead character, Kirsten... And says to her when she's sitting on his lap at like the Christmas photo op, Santa said oral and then goes into his dressing room to snort a bunch of cocaine and gets murdered by an elf. Ho, ho, ho. And what do you want for Christmas, little girl? For it not to be Christmas. Why? Oh, it's snow. Can you make it snow? Oral. What? Santa said oral. All right, Sam, you got to get to the fucking Nazi. (laughs) Okay, so really the plot here is this former Nazi who's Kirsten's grandfather is this occult Nazi scientist. Is he also her father? We'll get to that. Well, we're not there (laughs) yet. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) He has worked with the other Nazis to engineer this race of superhuman elves who are meant to be the Nazis super soldiers they're only two feet tall the movie is called elves plural we only see one of these fucking elves oh my there is only one elf there's only one elf i honestly feel like this movie's eating my own lunch out of my mouth by calling itself elves and having one fucking elf well well, they're gonna they were planning on doing the reverse of aliens where it's like first (laughs) alien had one alien aliens had multiple aliens this one was gonna be elves with one elf but elf the sequel was gonna have multiple elves yeah, <laughs> that was the that was the initial plan oh for the Elf gosh. universe. Elf the sequel, elf. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course we get Elf three. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Elf versus Predator. It starts off with the greatest opening scene where Kirsten and her sort of brain dead but really fun teenage friends are having this anti-Christmas ritual in the woods with candles. and it's Whom so, amongst us? Yeah, it's like a not. satanic ritual. that it's. I love it so much. And she cuts her hand in this spot in the woods that her grandfather told her not to go, and it awakens this elf that who knows how the elf got there, but <laughs> the elf wakes up and begins to wreak havoc and... Meanwhile, her Charles's mother. Charles's face right now. <laughs> yeah. Just like revisiting the movie in his Honestly, head. Honestly, like, I, I gotta be, I gotta be, like, I don't. 
I just like Sam. I'm with you. This movie's wonderful. This movie is so wonderful. There's a fucking scene where Dan Haggerty, who takes Grizzly the elves, fucking Adams, Grizzly Adams takes the elves very seriously and tracks down this book that explains what the elves are. It's called like Occult Symbols and Runes is the name of the book. But a key page is missing out. So then he has to go to the library and talk to this professor. And the movie is shot. Yeah, she's been to the best part of the movie. Who directs him to the home of this other professor. He barges in on Christmas Eve (laughs) when the guy is like carving turkey with an electric meat carver. With his family. With his family, including his two like six or seven year old daughters. And Dan Haggerty forces him to tell him the story of the elves. And he delivers this monologue about how Nazis created (laughs) secret soldier elves in front of his two little kids. (laughs) And he talks about like raping a virgin to create the master race with a totally straight face and then bends down and yells at the kids for throwing food at each other, which they're not even really doing. And (laughs) it's like, honey, can't you get these children to behave? (laughs) it's it's a great movie and like it's a ultra low budget trashy 80s monster movie it's charming but it's also kind of knows what it is because there are scenes that are funny that are like legitimate funny that they're actually trying to be funny and i they, yeah i laughed but, a few times but also it has the specter of andy milligan over it oh it totally it has does. the shitty fucking mean family yeah the dynamics. mom is all the mom drowns the main girl is cat in the oh, toilet just to her, be cruel. The cat's oh, name is Agamemnon. That. Yes. And all <laughs> oh, that the, cat death scene, like honestly, sometimes yeah. I have fun There's, when they're like and movies. And it's are absolutely movies. needless in the movie. And then the it's grandfather. It's just to show how much of a cunt the mom is. Yeah. And the grandfather is actually the father because there is an incest plot. That's my mother, needed. my sister, my mother, my sister. <laughs> oh, my oh my God. And it's just like, so it's like it's fun you, and yeah. weird, but it's also sleepy easy and dark and it's just like that weird sandwich that and you there can are also nazis after kirsten yeah. and dan a nazi with a ponytail which i yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one thing that is kind of crazy about this flick is that it, it clearly has a cult following but the only version of it that's out there is this like vhs rip yeah, there's and some kind of. I uh, know vinegar syndrome. Work out those rights. Uh, yeah, every, I'm on. I'm on like the the Facebook uh, vinegar syndrome like collectors. So all the nerds and every time like the Black Friday sales coming, there's like 50 nerds. They're like, finally, we're gonna get elves this year. We're gonna <laughs> get elves this year. And I'm like, I'm with them, but like. I, I just don't see it. There, there's got to, I, I don't know what the problem is. It's not like Return of the Living Dead where they have like music rights because I don't think there's any. Oh my like God, that. the music in this film is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but not because of rights issues. Yeah, I, I wonder what it is. I'm I'm curious. If we if if I ever get in a room with a vinegar syndrome guy, that's gonna be like my seventeenth question. Like what's the deal with elves? I'll have to ask. Action International Pictures presents the gruesome holiday shocker Elves. They're not working for Santa anymore. Their mission to mate with a virgin and conquer the world as a pint-sized master race. I'm saving it for someone special. Dan Haggerty stars as Mike McGavin, an ex-detective working on hard times. 
All right. Well, we got another six movies coming up right around the bend. We got part two, probably going to be out in like a week, maybe five days. Not too long after this one. We're going to... We're, we're going to wrap some presents and yeah. drink some more eggnog. No, we're going to sober oh, yeah. up, I think. No. Hey, no. You're, you're getting coal in your stocking. Yeah, you're I being know. the Scrooge of this oh episode. All right, all right. Before we go, though, John, can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you believe in God? Zola. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Oh, was that a setup? No, time? that's it. Oh, okay. No, yeah. All right, bye, everybody. Night. Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas. Jesus. Fuck, I'm sorry. I don't know what to say. Do I have time to refill my drink? Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll take a little brief break. That was fun. Yeah. That was really fun. That's definitely going to be our effort for the day.